everybody. This is Shane Douglas Keene with Ink Heist, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Rich Duncan, and we are talking to John F.D. Taff about his newest creation, The Fearing. So, um, John, you when you start The Fearing, the very first thing you do, you have a little, uh, um, I forget what they call them now, uh, epigraph, uh, Anyway, it's a it's a snippet from my favorite poem by my ah. favorite poet, um, and it the line is, "I will show you fear in a handful of dust." Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously T. S. Eliot's "The Wasteland." Um, so, my favorite poet too. And that that quote is so freaking appropriate um, to this book. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about the premise without revealing too much about your story sure um you know i started writing this thing probably seven years ago um and i had the idea you know originally the idea was to uh, was a simple idea it was to start a book at the end and work backwards so i wanted to open up the book with uh with a the end and close it with a once upon a time so over Time, as the idea morphed in my head, it became more uh, about trying to come up with a an apocalyptic novel that would be a little different. You know, that that wasn't anything that was caused by a virus or a nuclear war, everything or anything like that. It was more fear. You know, fear is at the base of all of it. And uh, so I'd been reading a lot of Carl Jung at the time and. Uh, had this idea of, uh, you know, what if, what if there were a, like a metaphysical bowl of fear that had been collecting all of mankind's fears over the millennia. And now this bowl was filled and, uh, the system had to reset itself and to reset itself. It means that it had to empty all of the fears that it had collected over time onto the earth all at one time. So it was a, it was a, great way for me to be able to dump everything into a book. I mean, everything, every kind of horror thing into one book, every trope, every, every fear. So, uh, big idea is a big book. Uh, it daunted me for a long time. It got to the point with my wife, uh, that it was kind of a joke, sort of a joke. Uh, (laughs) you know, when you're going to finish this book, uh, you need to finish this book. You really need to finish this book. <laughs> um, so a couple of years ago, I finally, you know, put my nose to the grindstone and and uh, finished it. So uh, I call it my masters in horror because it sort of uh, encompasses everything that I feel about horror. It encompasses the way that I approach horror, um, what I like to read about horror. And like I said, you know, the, the idea is such a big one that it allows me a huge canvas to play on. So I'm really excited to put it out there in front of readers uh, and see what the reaction is. And so far, the reaction to the first part uh, is has been pretty good. So, uh, yeah, what I've heard so far has been pretty phenomenal. Um, and I've heard some pretty damn big names raving about it, too. You know, so that says a lot about it. Uh yeah. Go ahead. No, I, yeah, it's, it's, you know, for something that I've been working on for so long, um, you know, the reaction so far has been very, very, uh, very, very thrilling. I mean, uh, 
you know, I guess everybody that knows about the book knows now that we've split the book up into four parts and we're serializing it. So um, I had this kind of nervousness to go through three more times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's kind of like a debut four times in a row, huh? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So now I have to worry about will people like part two? Will people like part three? Will people like the end? You know, all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm pretty pleased with it. And I, you know, Obviously, I know what comes in the uh, in the subsequent parts to it. So I'm pretty yeah, I'm thinking if people like the first part, they're going to like the rest of it. I'm, I'm pretty confident of that. Um, and this uh, the thing is, is, I mean, I think people are going to love the first part when it actually releases into the wild. This thing just screeches along. Um, I was shocked when I turned the last page because I thought I had just opened the damn book. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there, Shane. Like, I, I think I sat down and I opened it up and I think I read it like straight through. No breaks, nothing. I like the, you know, uh, Tony uh, Rivera, the publisher of Grey Matter. He's the uh, one that had the idea to serialize it. You know, when I when I finally got the book done, um I have been kind of floating in the industry for a long time without an agent. Uh, I had an agent years and years and years ago, and um, he ended up semi-retiring. And so I've just kind of been floating without. But I thought I would take a a stab at trying to get an agent and uh, trying to take a swing at the big houses. But what happened was the book was 550 pages or something like that. Manuscript was about 100, almost 150,000 words. And what I got back from everybody was, you know, you're not a big enough name to carry a book this size. So uh, I decided to pull it back and go with the indie press, who I believe, you know, the indie press is really the part of the press that's carrying what I believe to be the golden age of horror on its shoulders. I mean, yeah, we've got a few big name horror writers who have big contracts with the big presses, you know, the Paul Tremblay's, the Josh Malerman's. Um but the bulk of the, the hard work and horror is really being done by the independent press. Um, and I don't think there's too many presses out there that are better than Grey Matter uh, who've been hugely instrumental in the trajectory of my career. And uh, so when I passed the book to Tony to see if he was interested, he was. Uh, and we had some give and take about the length of the book. Um and he came up with the idea of serializing, which I thought was great. I, you know, it's a it's a scary idea because, again, it gives everybody a, a chance to, you know, like it or hate it four different times. But uh, I think that anybody who has read horror for the last 20, 30 years has has familiar, at least with The Green Mile and the experience that they had reading The Green Mile, which was released serially. So that's kind of what we've been hoping to create with this. Uh so we'll see. Uh, and you, and I think you have. I think you have. We'll see what other people think. But Rich, I mean, I think Rich had the same impression I did that this created much the same uh, sensational. Only it carries with it also a, a little tinge of kind of delightful nostalgia that wasn't there with the King books because the King books are the reason this nostalgia is there now. If that makes right. sense. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I felt. And you know, I'm a little bit younger. But my my big experience as far as original runs was when I was younger reading like mm-hmm. the Goosebumps books. You yeah. know, I used to go every month and that was like an event for me. And I think it's cool that, you know, with the fearing that 
you're bringing that back, something that people can look forward to, you know, on a regular basis. And I think you did a good job with this first book, keeping people interested to continue on with the series. Cause we have some things out there now, you know, like serial works, but I think mm-hmm. this might be like one of the first novel type projects that I've seen anyway. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen anything that's a true serialized thing and not just a, you know, a, a series book. Um, uh, but I, you know, I was excited when Tony came up with the idea, we had to juggle around, um, some chapters. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a fact. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, I, we, we, we're juggling, we just juggled around some, uh, I had, uh, Alan Baxter, uh, read the book for me and Alan, if you're not familiar with him, great writer. Um, and he agreed to read it, and he had a couple suggestions about moving some chapters up into part two. So, you know, we we rejiggered part two just within the last week or two. So, uh, uh, when you guys get the ARCs for part two, which I think Tony's going to have available in the next week or two, um, you'll see you'll see a, a slightly different part two than what we've had uh, up until recently. So, uh, and I, I'm really excited for part two. I think if people like part one. Part two is going to knock your socks off. That's kind of interesting. Um, like you said, you just even recently kind of, you know, made some changes to book two. Mm-hmm. What what was the experience? What's the experience been like for you? You know, it's almost like it's still kind of like a living, evolving thing, if that makes sense. Like, even though the book yeah. is done. Yeah. How, how has that been? It's been interesting, but it's also been fun because, you know, the, the you know, Part of the serial experience is you can get some reaction to at least part of the book while you're still holding parts of the book back. So, you know, I felt like with some comments that that Alan had made when he read the book, um, they were they were pretty easy fixes. It was pretty it was like, you know, he addressed something and I was like, okay, well, we can do that. And to do that, we just need to shift a couple of chapters from part three into part two problem solved. Um, I, you know, before even the, the ARCs ran out, I had, uh, Tony had wanted me to add a chapter to the very end part four. So, you know, I was able to do that. So, you know, if the book had come out all at one time as one big novel, I wouldn't have had the ability to, you know, play with it, uh, as long as I have, you know, which is good. You know, if it had come out all in one big book, I think it would have been fine because the reading experience when you have the one single issue, one big book is a completely different reading experience than you got if you're reading parts that are released every six weeks. So, um, yeah, and, and I think Tony and I were kind of learning uh, as we do this that, you know, when we thought about splitting it up, we thought of certain things but we didn't think of everything. And now that parts of it have been released and some people have actually read all of it and, you know, have offered some insights and it's, it's allowed us to, you know, go back and rejigger. So, uh, it's a learning experience and I think it's really fun. Um, you know, fun for me, uh, in a different way than hopefully it will be fun for the reader. You know, for Tony, it's a lot of extra work, unfortunately, <laughs> but, but he's the publisher, so uh, and, oh well. And, and yeah, and he's a madman. That guy, that guy's <laughs> up for 24 hours a day. He is. Uh, he and I have had. I've been up in the, as you know, I've been in the hospital for the last three weeks, and uh, probably every 
you know, second or third day, I've been having conversations with Tony at one and two in the morning. So, uh, um, he's a great guy. And, uh, I feel extremely thankful that I met Tony when I did, when I, uh, you know, a few years ago, bro, when, when, uh, gray matter was getting started and he had the open submission calls for dark visions and splatterlands and a couple of the books. And he liked two of my stories and brought me on and, and, uh, you know, the work that he's produced in Grey Matter uh, and the authors that he's put together, uh, I have a great deal of respect for him. And what he's done with my books um, has been phenomenal. So, uh, Rich and I were just talking about that either earlier today or yesterday. I think yesterday when we did our sound test um, that he took virtually all of your books that have been published prior to you meeting him yep. and since you met him. Cause that's, we all kind of came together right when you started working with Tony. Right. I started reading dark visions. Um, and went, who's this guy Taff, <laughs> you know, and obviously a long, long road in between here. We all are. Right. Um, but he did a fucking phenomenal job with those books, with his mm-hmm. rebranding of those books and redesigning of those things. Perfect. Yeah. And the re-editing. I mean, you know, I had a great relationship with Books of the Dead uh, up in Canada. Uh, they were the, my first publisher of record. Um, but, you know, Tony, uh, when he when he agreed to take them all back on, you know, he repackaged them. He re-edited them. And if anybody who's ever gone through editing with Tony knows, probably the best editor in the uh, in the business, I think, in the small press business right now. And uh, I should also footnote this by saying that Tony hates when I talk about him. He hates when I <laughs> praise him. He hates when I, you know, uh, he he finds it very difficult to take praise. But he's a great guy. And all, uh, yeah, all the more reason to talk about him. Exactly. I'm going to let I'm going to let Rich put his two cents in in a minute. But just let me say this uh-huh. about that editing thing with Tony Rivera is I've only had him edit stuff I've written one time. Mm-hmm. And what I got from that guy right out the gate is he's not just an editor. He's an incredible teacher. Yes. You know, and I learned so much just from that one little session. It just blew my mind. It opened up so many avenues for me as far as my own, you know, work goes. So, well, it, you know, what I find, uh, you know, God, I've been doing this for almost 30 years now. And what I find is when generally when you deal with an editor, they're either a really good copy editor or they're a really good content editor you don't really find too many people who are good at both tony's good at both yeah yeah um and tony is great because he makes you think he makes me think you know when i get edits back from him it's not just you know i think you need a comma here or a period there i mean he really makes you think about the choices that you made in the story so i think that's refreshing and and, and he doesn't in a way that it He's not editing it to make it sound like him. He's just making it sound like you, but the best you that you can possibly be. So, well, yeah, because your your voice hasn't changed from when you wrote like Little Deaths mm-hmm. and The Bell Witch and whatnot. Um, anybody who doesn't know Little Deaths is a phenomenal fucking collection of short mm. stories. You should get that and read it. Thank um, you. And, but yeah, he your voice hasn't changed from those books to the reiterations during the Gray Matter Press years. Uh, no, he's really he's very careful about leaving my tone alone. Yeah, you know, yeah, leaving my voice as an author alone, which 
again is something that not a lot of all not a lot of editors are are good at. Yeah, I I tend to agree with everything Shane said as far as like Tony and Gray Matter, and I was just curious. I know you guys have worked together for a long time. Like Shane said, I think around the time you probably met Tony is when mm-hmm. Shane when Shane and I both got our start, you know, reviewing books. I know right. it was one of the first books that I read once I launched my old site. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious, you know, you kind of touched on it, but how has it, you know, helped you having, you know, working with gray matter now that you know they've released all your books you know they rebranded them and they're all under one roof right i was just wondering because a lot of authors now they kind of release books with a bunch of different publishers and i know Mm -hmm. you've placed works with other publishers but as far as your novels how has it helped you you know working with tony and working so closely with him to like develop you know the tony or books and yeah things like that he uh that's a good question i mean i think that uh you know tony has a marketing background that's pretty strong and um you know he's the one that came up with the king of pain thing which i think you know at at first it was kind of a funny little yeah he's king of pain taff's the king of pain whatever but it helped me build kind of a brand out there um and it is you man it's just the truth you. you know he, he, he coined that when you wrote uh, The End and All Beginnings, I think. Yes, yeah. And that was exactly uh, the perfect, perfect description of you and your work well, thank at you. that point. So, yeah. We, we kind of laughed about it at first, but it, it caught on. So I think that, I think that yeah, people saw that, that you know, that was kind of what spoke to them about my work. So, yeah. Uh, you know that, and then the uh, when he brought in uh, my back catalog, um, and he created a kind of a look, a, a, a certain look for the books that was consistent, um, so people could tell, you know, these books were, you know, they're, they're all Taft books. Um, I think that was smart. I think it was really smart. I think that he has probably accelerated my career um, tremendously over the last couple of years. So you know, I think it's all about you know, just being able to stand out in the crowd, uh, because I do believe that we're in kind of a golden age right now of horror literature. Um, there's so much good stuff out there. Um, not just, you know, the big guys like Tremblay and, and Mailerman and, and that sort but I mean, you look in the, in the independent press right now and I mean, it's just a wash with huge names that are putting out great work. I mean, I mentioned Alan Baxter. You got John Foster. You got Brian Kirk. Um, oh man, you know, Todd Keesling. Todd Keesling. Uh, uh, Eric Johnson. Uh, yeah. J. Daniel Stone. Uh, uh, I can't pronounce her name correctly, but Karen Runga, I think it is. Yes. Uh huh. Um, Stephanie Wadovich. Uh, yeah. You know, Christy Demeester. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on. Jonathan Jans. Um, so there's just so much good stuff out, out right now that, you know, you think as an author, you've got to come up with something that, that will kind of cause you to rise up above the rest and get noticed. And I think Tony has really helped me do that. I mean, you know, to some extent, the work speaks for itself, but the work's got to get out there. Uh, yeah, someone has to have a voice to get your voice out right. in the first exactly. place. And I've, you know, I've thought about submitting 
uh, novels or longer works to other presses, but and there are there are great presses out there, Crystal Lake, Cutting Block. Um, but I, I, you know, my relationship with Tony has has really uh, transcended just the publisher author relationship. We really have become friends, uh, and I trust him. And I think that's a big deal in a relationship like this is to trust somebody with, you know, these works that you're creating, that he's going to be respectful of them and he's going to be able to bring them to readers in a way that is going to, you know, speak to your career. So and he's done that for me. I mean, editing the covers of his books are spectacular. Everything, just everything about. him. So he's going to love listening to this. He hates it. (laughs) Yeah. To your point, though, I could see how that would be beneficial. Like you said, you guys have become friends. Mm -hmm. And I think even just from a professional standpoint, that probably helps you as an author because you guys have developed this tight relationship that he knows your voice so well, you know, rather than if you tried to send it to a different publisher, especially with this being your like master thesis, you call it. He will but, he'll get what you're going for. But, you know, the also the other the other part of this that's great is that he knows me well enough to call me on my own bullshit. So, you know, yeah. you know, and you he, know, he, and you know him well enough to know that he knows you well enough exactly to do that. <laughs> so, you know, when when I get edits from him, they're very honest um, and blunt most most of the time. Um, but that's good. You know, I, I think. Having that kind of relationship with somebody who's going through your work and who is a an, an expert at editing is great because he's not going to let anything slide just because of what he thinks of you, you know? Yeah. No, brutal honesty is kind of hard to take, but it's what you need if you want to be a great writer. Exactly. Um, great. All great writers have a great fucking editor behind them, and there's no exception to that. I agree totally. There's too many people that I know of in the industry. Um, people who are just getting started who don't think that they need to be edited. And that's just, it's so just wrong. <laughs> horseshit. It's just horseshit. It really is. Editing is an important part of writing. And whether that's editing that you do yourself or editing that somebody else does for you, I think they're both requirements for putting out the best work you possibly can. And I'm not interested in this point in my career in putting out anything that's going to embarrass me. You know, so, and you know, Tony has uh, Sharon Lawson uh, working for him too, and Sharon is a fantastic editor. So I don't Sharon know if that. Yeah, Sharon does rock. Yeah, I think they're a very good team. Like, I'm always blown away by how good the books are. Yeah, I'm very happy with it. So when you know when Tony said, "What do you think about th- serializing this thing?" Um, I trusted him. And it just sounded like such a great idea because, again, nobody's done it in the past couple of decades. So, and it's such an experience, man. Because when, when people read this first book, um, and I, I will guarantee everybody listening to this right now, maybe one out of one out of a hundred of you will not find this book just delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what happens is that John leaves it kind of hanging where you go, what the fuck. but what he really does is he creates a level of anticipation that is just giddy you know giddy i like that yeah and that's exactly best way i can describe it is i just got this thrill when i closed it just anticipating the next read already straight up the back cover of this one 
Well, which is I, sitting in my lap, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, that's that's kind of what we're hoping for with the serialization, um, that people are going to be so anticipatory of the second part that by the time that it comes out, there'll be, you know, slavering to get it. Um, and again, I think it's it's just, it does me a lot of good because I think, again, knowing the story and knowing where, how the parts break up here, I, I'm just very, very sure that if you like part one, part two is just going to really rock you. Um, and that's, that's so exciting to me because I can't imagine it. I mean, I know that it has to in order for the novel to succeed, but I can't imagine it ramping up because <laughs> it's it, already so intense. I, I, as I've told several people who've asked about it, it gets so much worse, <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way. So let's, uh, speaking of the fearing, mm-hmm. um, how do you pronounce Adam's last name? Sigil. Sigil. Okay. Okay. Um, at first I thought this guy was kind of a, kind of a wuss. I mean, you start out right out the gate. It's like, yeah, this isn't, this is obviously not the, the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, but bullshit. The guy's scary as fuck. Well, he's meant to be, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and part of what we had to do with, with, uh, the fearing as a big single book was rearrange the order of the chapters. The chapter that starts out part book one was always the beginning of the book, but uh, we had to move some things around to get other characters up in the first part of the book because we didn't want people to think that Adam was the main character. Uh, He's not, he is the antagonist, but he is not the main character. This is, you know, uh, as you know, from reading the, the book one, this is very much a, you know, I, I don't mean to say epic in a douchey kind of way about my own work, but I mean, it, 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 epic in that it involves a huge story told over uh, a huge palette with a huge cast of characters. So um, I, we wanted to make sure that that came through in the first part of the book, in book one, uh, and then people didn't have to wait to get that for book two or three, because I think it would give them a a different idea of what the book is about and who Adam is. Um, and, you know, you're, you're going to get throughout uh, books one, two, three, and four um, snippets of what Adam is doing, where he's going, who he is to the story, uh, what his importance is, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. That's, I had a question about the book cause it's funny you brought it up. You know, it is such a big scope of a story, but when I was reading it personally, I like how you were able to capture that scope, but it seems like when we are introduced to some of these characters throughout, you know, they're kind of have their own sections. Mm -hmm. It still has that grand feeling, but it's also kind of self-contained in a way. It's very intimate that you're able to get to know these characters so well with rearranging everything throughout the process and just the scope of the work was it difficult to try and balance that did you want that kind of balance between you know an epic story but it also feels you know very intimate and kind of like contained in a way yeah i mean i i think that anybody who's read my work not just in the short stories but in the longer pieces like the bell witch or or kill off um I think people pretty much know that I, my writing is character driven. Um, so, you know, I always have the plot in mind, but character trumps all for me as a writer. So, you know, I have this enormous story to tell in the fearing and I have this enormous palette 
to paint on. And I had this, again, enormous, an enormous cast of characters to deal with. But I wanted to make sure that each character comes through as an individual, that they all have an arc in the story. They all There's an importance to them in the story. Um, and that you get to know them. So, you know, I one of my favorite authors is Stephen R. Donaldson, a fantasy author. And uh, I, re- I remember an interview that he gave a long time ago about, you know, how he approached writing. And basically he's like, you know, you create characters, you get the readers to love the characters, and then you spend the, a good portion of the book kicking the shit out of those characters. Um, he's really good at that. <laughs> he's excellent at that. And I think that that, you know, that spoke to me and it still speaks to me with, the, you know, especially the kind of writing that I'm doing now is, you know, it's very important to me to ground these characters in such a way that readers feel for them, that, that they take them in and feel for them because I'm going to spend a huge amount of time kicking the shit out of them. And I want people to care about that. Um, I want people to care about what happens to these characters. It's so intrinsic to the story that I can't even imagine approaching it in a different way. Um, and that was something, you know, you uh, you did it perfectly because you have characters in here that I'm just totally in love with. Yeah. You, know, you got an old lady in here who basically kicked me in the privates and stole my breath <laughs> and my heart away. Marcia. Yeah, Marcia. exactly. Exactly, man. And everybody's going to have a character like, yeah, you know, like every book, everybody did with the stand with, you know, um, every other blah, 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 apocalyptic epic. Right. You know, um, it, but and in a way, it's kind of sorry to compare this book to any of those books because this book is not any of those books in any way no i appreciate you know i know that a lot of the first round of reviews that i've gotten for book one have kept you know made the comparisons that we knew you know tony and i both knew were going to happen which is you know to the stand and and swan song um and also like that well and that's okay I mean, we knew that was coming. And, you know, also right now with Chuck Wendig's book, Wanderers, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of, you know, Chuck's book has obviously got a bigger rollout than I do. And and it's a bigger book than mine. But, you know, there's been a lot of people who have taken a poke at apocalyptic literature. And I wanted to come up with something different for my book, something that that wasn't just about, again, a virus or or anything like that, but really explored fear and, and why we fear and how we deal with fear and what fear does to us as 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 uh, people. Um, so, you know, in this book, it's an apocalyptic book, but the fact that the world is ending because of all this stuff, to me at least, is less important than the hows and the whys and how people are dealing with what's going on. Because I think by the time you get to the end of the book, you'll see that the way that this is all dealt with is really really important to the resolution of the story yeah um that kind of touched on a question i had when i was reading this one um as far as like post-apocalyptic stories in the apocalypse i thought your idea was genius and how you brought it about and i can't believe that nobody had <laughs> thought of this one prior Me but too. i was just i was just curious you know as an author and even as a reader um, what made you interested in taking on that type of story? And why do you think readers, uh, you know, are so drawn to these types of stories? Because I know as far as dark fiction goes, these are like 
one of my favorite types of stories. And I was just curious about your thoughts on that. You know, I think a lot of authors and readers are drawn to apocalyptic fiction because what it does, it, it strips everything away from people and reduces them to you know the basic components of what it is to be human and then shows how they deal with whatever it is, the scenario that the authors put out there. But it, it really strips away just about everything. You know, in, in most apocalyptic end of the world stuff, you know, civilization has gone bye bye. So you know, all the rules, all the mores, all the taboos have gone out the door and you're left with, you know, what it is to be a human being and interact with each other. Um, and I, like I said, I wanted to explore that, but I also wanted to explore the more basic thing of fear. I mean, fear is, is you know, in my mind, everything, everything in human emotions can be reduced to either love or fear. I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure that I believe that the opposite of love is hate. I think the opposite of love is fear. Um, uh, and so I, and I wanted to get kind of to the heart of that and, and see once you strip away everything from the characters and put them into this world where fear is just run rampant, how do people react to that? And what does it make them do? And what does it make them, how does it make them interact? Um, to me, that was an interesting thing. You know, I, I tend to do a lot of reading outside of horror. Um, you know, I read a lot of history. I read a lot of stuff, uh, science and that kind of thing. And like I said, when I first had this idea, I was reading a lot of uh, Jung. And I liked his idea about uh, the collective unconsciousness of mankind and, and uh, you know, archetypes and all these really big ideas that made me think about how we're all connected as human beings. And and this thread of fear that kind of runs through everything that we do and everything that we are. So it was a big idea for me to chew on. And like I said, this took a long time for me to write. That doesn't mean it's, you know, you know, the best thing ever. But I mean, it did take a long for me to write because the idea was kind of daunting. It was a big idea. And it it did. It scared me to to approach it and to put it down on, on in writing in a way that made sense and, and also you know, lended itself to a, a good story, too. It's one thing to have a great idea. If it doesn't tell a good story, who cares? Uh, sorry. No, I was, I was talking to you, but I was actually facing the window instead of my goddamn mic because I'm an amateur. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting what you said about uh, about fear really being, you think, um, the opposite of love. Mm-hmm. Because really, I mean, that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Um, fear is like the ultimate opposite emotion to love. It's like the ultimate in revulsion, you know, mm-hmm. right. because I, you know, and anybody who's been through a traumatic life threatening experience knows exactly, you know, um, there's there's literally no other emotion inside you when you're terrified. Right. Um, and fear and this, drives so many of the other. Mo- I mean, you think anger, you know, I think most people think, you know, the opposite of love is hate. But hate is really a fear based emotion, as is anger. It's a fear based emotion um, when you get right down to it. So, you know, to me, it's all about love or fear. One of the one of the two. Um, yeah. And I prefer I prefer the one over the other personally. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <me too. laughs> Um, another interesting thing to me that I thought was fun um, is, and I'm totally, totally turning about here and going in a different direction, but your your chapter headings. The, ch- the chapter headings are a blast. When I read the ones for chapter one, I thought, 
you know, oh, whatever, you know, everybody has some weird heading, but you're, <laughs> you have these little tiny tidbits, and they seem so meaningless, and then you start reading the chapter, and it's like, well, yeah, this, <laughs> is every, this is exactly what's happening in this chapter, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I tried to, you know, there were a couple of chapters where Tony made me change things, because he thought I was giving away too much. Um, and he's probably right. You know, I wanted I wanted you to get a flavor of what was going on in the chapter. But, I, you know, you don't want to play your hand. And that's the thing is that you did it in a way. And, Tony, you know, maybe Tony was right or wrong. I don't know because I didn't see how they were mm-hmm. originally. But the way they are now, they tease you, but they don't spoil it. Right. I mean, because if you can ask Rich, I'm a person who even a hint of a spoiler and I'm <laughs> fucking pissed. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen Shane rage quite a bit about that one. But <laughs> to his point, I agree with him about the headings. Like when I would read those, I think that helps the reading experience because I'd read some of those and it would make me be like, man, I really got to keep going so I can see how this ties <laughs> into the story. And it seems like it's a small little thing, but I think in the context of the story, it it just hooked me right in. Well, yeah, and that, that was kind of so. what I was that was kind of what I was planning was that, you know, rather than just chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, you know, when you get to the end of the chapter and you look ahead and you see three little clues as to what's happening, my hope was that it would, you, you wouldn't stop reading, that you would go right on to the next chapter. Um, and that's the thing, too, about those headings is I dare anyone to read those two or three little headings. I think that's three. Mm hmm on most chapters and um i dare anyone to read those and not read that entire freaking chapter after they read them it's like a potato chip man you lick the salt off a potato chip you're gonna eat the damn thing (laughs) (laughs) well that was the goal so i'm glad to hear that so um moving on Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about what we're gonna do here going forward yeah as, as these books are released and um we read them and tease people about them and so uh, we've got this little series we've got upcoming. Do you want to talk about that, Annie? Sure. Um, we came up with this idea that was an idea I got actually from watching Game of Thrones, which I thought was a brilliant idea. When when HBO first started running Game of Thrones, you know, most people are, most people in the United States are not that familiar with fantasy, and I think that uh, this in in this episode thing that. Uh, HBO ran after each episode of Game of Thrones to kind of explain certain parts of the episode and what was going on and what the characters were up to and, you know, how this affected the story. I thought that was brilliant because it really split each episode up and explained it to people who may not have fully understood about fantasy and and where the story was going. So, um, so, yeah, the three of us came up with this idea that we'd come up with a kind of an in-the-episode thing after each book is released to kind of go over in a in as non-spoiler a way as we can, although there's probably going to be some spoilers. Um, you know, what, what happened in the book, you know, what's going on with the characters, how the story is progressing, you know, that sort of thing, so... Right, um, and the, and those of us who aren't in the know while we're talking will be speculating on where the hell is going from there. Right. Um, and the other thing about those in this episode things that Game of Thrones did is you got to you got some really killer insights into the motivations of the creators. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's what we've gotten a lot here today about you know with you and Tony and all that talk is a little bit of an insider look at 
the motivations mm -hmm. um, behind what you guys did here. And that's kind of key, I think, to the end this episode things, too, is that, okay, this is what happened, like you say, in as non-spoiler a way as we can possibly do it. Right. Um, and this is why. Right. You know, and that's that's what was really fascinating about those things. You know, they did them again toward the end of the series. And that was the key part of it. As they were talking about the why of it. Exactly. And so, yeah. Anyway, so the next one, the next one of these things we're going to do, we're going to delve into book one. Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited for people to hear these and to see these, because that's the other thing besides just the great story is I think it's going to be something cool for horror fans to talk about, you know, to have a book where, you know, it comes out on a regular basis and it kind right. of it'll I think it'll bring people together and get some really cool discussions going because everyone's anticipating this book. At least that's how I feel. And I think that it, everyone will probably be reading them around the same time. And that's a pretty cool experience to have with a book where, you know, people right. usually get the stuff, you know, at different times. But I think with it being serialized, it's going to bring people together because they'll be looking forward to it. And I think it'll bring about some really cool discussions. Well, from your mouth to God's ear, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the plan. Let's hope it works out like that. Um, and I, th I think it will, John. I don't think there's any any worry about that. Um, because like we've beat this horse to death, <laughs> but this thing is so it, it grabs your heart, but it also, it also, um, grabs your interest mm -hmm. in, in a way that, um, is just irresistible, you know, and once you're, once you're in, you're all in. And I think, a lot, I think everybody's going to be that way. Well, I hope so. I mean, it was important to me with a big book like this to not spend a whole lot of time meandering around um i felt like you know even though i've got a big story to tell and i've got a lot of stuff that i need to get out there i don't want to spend a whole lot of time digressing into parts of the story that aren't really moving anything ahead so yeah for me leaping in with that first chapter and and just really launching straight ahead into the character of adam was was really important and i think again from what the reviews are saying is that people who have read it so far are digging that about it uh yeah i really dug that about it i know rich really dug that about it um and i do like something you mentioned a while while ago um the way you said okay i wanted to bring adam in i wanted to introduce him let people get a feel for him but i didn't want them to think he was the protagonist right and you did a stellar job in the very next chapter of steering it in a way that made me absolutely know this guy is not the protagonist at right. all um, in fact, he's the anti-protagonist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like that. The anti-protagonist. So, um, I think uh, we're done with this. We keep talking about this, and we're going to tell everybody the whole damn story. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Agree. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, do you have anything you want to share with us before we start thinking about wrapping this up, or... Well, I, uh, you know, if people don't know, this this first part releases on July the 9th. Um, book one, book two, excuse me, uh, Water and Wind will release on August 20th. Uh, book three, which is Air and Dust, will release on October the 1st. And then the whole thing 
comes to an end with book four, Earth and Ember, which will be released November 11th. So this kind of, uh, this story will carry us right into the holidays. So um, it's about an every six week window. Um, which is which is about perfect. You go any longer than that, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> and, and I should say, um, we're, we're, uh, the book will be released in uh, digital, in paperback, and audio. Um, Linda Jones uh, will be doing the narration for me. Um, rocks. Yeah, Linda does rock, and I've heard uh, just a little snippet of it so far, and it's it's fantastic. So. Uh, so yeah, any any of the ways that you would normally want to consume a book like this, we'll we'll have it available. That's excellent to know too, because um, I've had a lot of people asking me about that. Is it is it going to be out in this format? Is it going to be out in this format? And audio was the one I did not know. Yeah, I I, I did the Bell Witch uh, about six months ago, eight months ago, and and uh, really enjoyed it, and it's it's doing okay. But I think that. You know, having more of these books in that format is going to help. So, well, and I think especially like with this story here, and you've got Linda Jones doing the narration, as you just said. Um, Linda's a stellar narrator. Yes. And her her voice is perfect for this story. I think so too. Um, plus, I like Linda. Uh, anybody that doesn't know, Linda is uh, John Foster's partner, and uh, we we love both of them, uh, Deb and I. Uh, love John and, and Linda. So having uh, bringing them into this project, bringing Linda to this project was again, like, you know, having a family member come in and help you. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's John and I are pretty tight. Yeah. Um, Linda and I are just getting to know each other. We uh, worked on a small project recently and started getting to know each other. She's really cool people. Yes. And Absolutely. like I say, the main, the main point, I've already made um, is that she's a fantastic narrator, yeah. fantastic voice, and it's she can carry tension like nobody. <laughs> well, she's going to need to because book two, <laughs> 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 book two. That's all I'll say about that. And that's all you need to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait for you guys to read it. I can't wait to read it, man. I'm just chomping at the bit. The farther we go from the last, from when I close the book on fire and rain, the more anxious I get. <laughs> Same here. Shane, Shane and I have talked about this story so much. <laughs> and, we've, and we've both been, you know, looking forward to what comes next for sure. Well, you guys have been supporters of mine you know, from the very beginning. And I can't adequately express how, how, uh, appreciative i am of, of all the you know the support you've given me over the years so um much deserved sir much well, deserved. thank you um thank and you. we will we will continue to support you going forward as long as you keep presenting these books to us <laughs> John. John. as soon as you stop we'll break your other feet <laughs> Oh, God. I wish that Man, was. that took a dark turn. Yeah, that, that escalated quickly. Yeah, I, I, would, I, wouldn't burst, I wouldn't wish this broken femur nonsense on anybody. Yeah, but dude, you know what? You saved a pug in the process. I did. And that's poor, important. Poor little Sadie is, is safe and sound. She has no idea the sacrifice I made for her. <laughs> She's doing good. Good, good. And I wouldn't have it any other way. All right, man. Well, 
I really, really dug talking with you today. I'm sure yeah. Rich did too. Um, I talk way too much. I know I do. <laughs> no, you did. You did a good job, Shane. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll we'll let you go. We'll be okay. talking to you again very soon. Yep. And I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I am too, guys. And again, thanks a lot. Thank yeah. you, John. Thank you, John, and uh, heal up soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Good night, guys. All right. Later, man. Bye.